It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. In today's show, we're going to look at the Miami Heat and their regular season. Michael Bolton? Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we're available on all platforms. We're going to talk today about the Miami Heat. Their season is still going. Of course, but we're trying to bang these out with two more to go. So we're going to talk focus mainly on the regular season for this team. Of course, there's a game on today. As I record this, in a couple of hours it starts between the Heat and the Celtics. So go check out Locked on Heat and see what they've got to say about the end of that game and anything Heat related. You can go check out Locked on Heat. Wes and David will have everything covered for you over there. If you are here on YouTube, drop a comment below just regarding the Miami Heat and their offseason. Do you think they're going to get any star-level players? There's a lot of whispers always about the Heat attracting people. Do you think they're going to move up their sleeve? And if so, what do you think it is? Drop that down below into the comments. So let's talk about this Miami Heat team, who was number one seed in the East, 11 games behind the number one seed in the West, the Phoenix Suns. They finished 53-29. and 29. They had the 10th the best offense and the 5th best defense. One of the slowest teams in the NBA, 28th in pace. Not really a surprise when you consider the team. Um, They're obviously really impressive. They had a little bit of a swoon at a point towards the end of the season, but they recovered after after acquiring Kyle Lowry in the offseason. They were strong. They made some tweaks to their rotations, and they were good. We'll see where that ends up leading them in the playoffs, as it's currently 2-2 for them against the Boston Celtics heading into Game 5. But obviously... A very, very successful season. Um, Let's look at their free agency and guys that are out of contract. Probably the most most important one is going to be probably probably Caleb Martin, who was a two-way guy and then got converted, but he's a restricted free agent now. He was really important. He started a lot of games for them, especially when they had injuries. And they had a lot of injuries all season with Lowry going down. Bam was out for a while. Jimmy Butler, of course, is consistently hurt at, at points throughout the throughout the year. Martin was really important. I think they'd like to bring him back. They've also got Dwayne Dedman out of contract. Markeith Morris. Now, Dedman didn't provide much. Morris provided nothing, basically, after getting hit by Jokic and missing about five months. The other interesting one is Victor Oladipo, who, of course, they do have his bird rights after trading for him and then bringing him back on that minimum deal. We'll talk a bit more about him a little bit later, but those who may hope that Victor Oladipo is back or can get back to being old Victor Oladipo, 
I don't think he got any hope of that. So what his future looks like, I don't really know. I, I, I think they'd like to bring him back. And I think they'd like to you know, clear up a little bit of that guard depth. Maybe that's a trade of Duncan Robinson. I reckon that's pretty much on the cards. But Oladipo is not a $20 million, $15 million player. Maybe he's not even a $10 million player. Maybe he's like a six or seven. Maybe he's a five. Um, he just doesn't have any of that. Occasionally, we can, he can have some good games and some defensive hounding stuff. But um, yeah, what if I don't know if there's going to be any interest in him across the market anyway. I think he might just return back to Miami. They only have one pick in the draft. That is their own pick at number uh, 27. So they've got an opportunity to bring someone decent in at that spot. And before we get into talking about the rest of the Miami Heat players or all of the Miami Heat players, why don't you think about your car? Do you need a part for it? Well, if you do, how stupid do you have to be? No offense to you. If you go into a local chain auto parts store, you probably need to reevaluate a lot of life decisions if that's one of the decisions you're making. Because going to a local chain auto parts store is a real pain in the ass. You got to drive there for a start. Hey, and your car might not even be working. So, all right, cross that one off straight away. You go line up. The bloke behind the counter is going to annoy you with intimidating questions, and you're going to pay more money. Why would you spend 30, 50, 100% more for the same parts? Rock Auto is an online family business serving auto parts customers for over 20 years. Whether it's brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, or even new carpet, Rock Auto has everything that you would need for your car or truck. So head to rockauto.com, check out their fabulous range across their website and in their How Did You Hear About Us box, write Locked On so that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's talk about um, Jim Butler. Because he's my butler. (laughs) Butler was great again. Like, he's just sort of doing what he does. He was a mid-second round pick. His ADP was actually 18th. He was 17th on a per-game basis. And of course, he missed 25 games. There's, And we've seen him miss games in the playoffs. Like one-game absences, half-game absences, knee soreness. And there seems to be confusion because at one point earlier in this, in this season, I said, maybe it was in the off-season, I said the Heat are going to regret the Jimmy Butler contract. I said, no, I didn't say that. I said, the Jimmy Butler contract is going to be horrendous, is what I said. It's going to be very, very bad. And that's if if he takes them to the finals this year, all right, that's great. That's all well and good. That doesn't mean that you want to be paying Jimmy Butler $52 million when he's 36 years of age or $49 million when he's 35. That is why it's a bad contract. He absolutely stunk last year in the playoffs. He's been great this year at times, but the unreliability with his body, the fact that he's already 33 and you're going to have... Um, some really big contract years coming up. It's going to be bad. It's fine now. It's totally fine to pay him $38 million this season. Paying him 45 next year is probably a marginal overpay, but it's not terrible. It's the two years after that where it's going to be really bad. 
and the legacy of Jimmy Butler and our opinion of Jimmy Butler, it will change. Because when he's 36 and getting paid $52 million, does he turn into Russell Westbrook or John Wall? And one of those guys where you go, this is just killing us. That's that's my issue with that contract. And it's the Heat, they were bound to do this. They had to do it based on the way that the NBA is structured with their contracts. And I think it's a terrible system the way that the only way you can get the big paydays is you have to be well out of your prime, which leads to um, issues with team salary caps, legacies of players, our memory of those guys as they look terrible for the money that they're getting paid. Whereas if you pay Jimmy Butler $52 million from his age 27 to 32 season, you'd be loving it. It'd be perfect. Absolutely unbelievable. And then you could realistically scale him down and play him, pay him $20 million a year, $15 million a year, because he's already got that money when he was at his prime and he could hang around on a team like this. But that's not the way the structure works, and it leads to these dumb situations, which is going to happen to Butler. It's probably going to happen to Beal if he signs that big extension. It's going to happen to CJ McCollum, probably. It's going to happen to Damian Lillard, most likely. It's just going to happen to a lot of these guys where their contract is too high. Anyway, as for Butler, this year, 21 points. Of course, he doesn't hit any threes at all. Half a three a game. Six boards, five and a half assists. 1.6 1.6 steals, 48 and 87. So the, the real reason that he was able to be as good as he was, big steals, unbelievable free throws on high volume and good assists with good scoring. That That's him. Steals, free throws. They're your two things that you're really looking for. Solid assists, solid scoring. But the worry you have again with him in his fantasy value, if that eight free throw attempts goes to five, which as you get older, that can happen lack of lower athleticism, not that he's supremely athletic at the moment, all that stuff can happen, that would be an issue with his value. Now, in terms of advanced numbers, he led the team in Raptor, he led the team in EPM, he led the team in LeBron, and none of that is a surprise. Way up there in all of those numbers, right across the league. Solid mid-range shooting, solid rim finishing numbers, getting to the line, amazing stuff, good assist numbers, good defensive, like, he's he's really good. The, The problem is availability and decline coming in, which it is going to happen. Happens to everybody. And we'll see exactly where that does end up leaving Jim. Let's talk about Bam Adebayo as I hit the music. Bam! 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 Adebayo was the 33rd ranked player. There were people drafting him at pick 10, pick 12, pick 13. Um, I was obviously not, not a fan of that. His ADP was 20. I thought people overrated him a little bit because my main concern with Bam was is that part of his huge value the year before where he was the 18th ranked player was him averaging five and a half assists. And I said this in the preseason, with Kyle Lowry coming in, he will not average that. And that will lose his value. And that's exactly what happened. His assists went down to 3.4. He's never been a good shot blocker. Still not. 0.8 blocks for a center. One of the worst seasons he's had. He rebounded better. He actually um, scored a little bit better, but not massively. 19 points versus 18 last year. So what we saw from Bam was basically the way to, to, for him to hover at 33 was by increasing steals. He could have been like, and he was outside the top 50, top 60 for a while this season as the assists fell down and his free throws were way off. His free throws were you know, ended up being solid, but they were still less than what they were last season. It was overall, I would say, a little bit of a disappointing season from Adebayo. His usage did end up going up marginally, but with that significant drop, almost 50% drop in assists, keeping top 20 was hard. Now, 
with this squad, is there a chance that he can get back to those numbers? I think yes, but not next season. There is rumours of this team for the last two years aggressively trying to acquire a Bradley Beal, for example. If they have Beal, Lowry, and Butler all in the lineup, Bam's never going to get playmaking opportunities. Lowry's not going to be around forever. Butler's not going to be around forever. But if Beal is there, that does take some of that creation off Bam. But we know that he's got this in his bag, right? We know that he can do it. But it's probably two years away from bouncing back to five assists, would be my guess. His advanced numbers were strong. Defensively, he was really good. Of course, he missed a bunch of time with that fractured thumb. Um, yeah, he was 96th percentile in the NBA in EPM. His LeBron was way out there. I don't need to talk too much about his advanced numbers because they were just really good. We know that. He's, he's great. And when he was out, they did struggle at times. But he was really good. 33rd in category leagues. Um, 27th in points. He's averaging 40 fantasy points per game. Let's talk Lowry, who came across for his first season away from Toronto in ages. Not that Lowry, we always assume, is a Toronto player, but he also played for Houston and Memphis before that. I just don't think people necessarily associate that with him. But now he is in Miami. And of course, at age 36, he suffered a lot of injuries. Not as many as Butler. Actually played more games than Butler and than Bam, 63. 34 minutes, pretty good amount there. 13, 4, and 7.5. 1.1 steals, 44 and 85. You would have hoped for a little bit more in the steals area for him. A little bit more in scoring, but the fact that he got those assists, he was drafted around 65. He actually returned value on a per-game basis, coming in at 51. Think, yeah, outside of the injuries, he was probably a little bit, or not probably, he was definitely a little bit underrated um, heading into the season, in draft season. But we, we aren't, look, on a per-game basis, sure. But we understand that Lowry, over, I don't know, I feel like six, seven years, always seems to get hurt as we head to February, March, and there's going to be time missed. And we saw that again. He missed time in the playoffs. It's just a consistent thing with him, and it makes it really tough to consider him even a top 80 guy. Again, he'll be 37 at some point next season, and 34 minutes a night, you would guess, will probably come down. And yeah, maybe he's got one more fantasy-relevant year left. That would be my guess with Lowry. He still played well when he was out there. Yeah, pushed the pace in transition, but he's not the same player, quite obviously. But his advanced numbers are all strong right across the board, across all of those ones that we use, EPM, Raptor, LeBron, clearly third on the team in all of those by a significant margin. He's still really, really good, but he's just not the same Kyle Lowry that he used to be. And that's totally understandable. It's also totally understandable for me to tell you about Truebill because free trials. We sign up to them and go, sick. Let's try it seven days. Beautiful. But they can be a scam. They might not even tell you when they're renewing and you just forget about it and you get charged. Well, Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for the subscriptions that you don't need, that you don't want, or the ones that you simply forgot about. On average, people save up to 720 bucks a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Truebill has over 2 million users and helped them save over $100 million. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start cancelling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now. That's Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. 
Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I was meant to transition that to my full face on the screen, but I forgot. I'm rusty. I've been away. Let's talk about the next bloke. I am very rusty. Everyone has a hero. True. Zero people shouldn't have a hero. Tyler Hero. Actually, before we talk about Tyler Hero, I'm going to start some NBA draft coverage next week. Um, Tweet at me, at RedRock underscore B-Ball. If there are any draft analysts that you want me to have on the show, Big names, small names, undiscovered people. If you're on YouTube, drop it in the comments as well. And if they've got... Sometimes people have YouTube channels, but they don't have um, Twitter accounts or anything like that. Tag the YouTube channel in the comments and we'll see what we can do. I've already got a couple of... um, Or at least one of the uh, YouTube guy who does a lot of scouting reports coming on. Um, Actually, got two of them coming on. So if there's any other... Anyone you want, I'm going to tell you who everyone is at this point because we're still working everything out. But any NBA draft people that you know of through Twitter, through writing, through YouTube, please let me know either via Twitter or drop it in the comments below. Let's talk Tyler Hero, who was huge this year. Definitely took a step back in his second year where he was the 126th ranked player in 30 minutes. This year, he played only like a couple of minutes extra, ended up getting 33 minutes a game. Averaged 21 points, was the 59th ranked player. Two and a half threes, five rebounds, four assists, putrid defensive numbers, of course. 45 and 87. So some really strong shooting numbers there. 40% from three as well. In points leagues, he was 67th, averaging 32 fantasy points. He was really, really strong. So what changed this year versus where he was last year? Because it was a big difference. Well, usage really spiked. He went from 22 usage to 28. Hard to see that happening, to be honest. Like you head into the season, you go, all right, Hero had some struggles last year. Um, Know that. Kyle Lowry's being brought in. So we assume that Tyler Hero is going to be the highest usage guy on the team. Yeah, that makes sense. No, of course it makes no sense. So that's why that's always a surprise thing. Hero was drafted at 108. Smash that number. 108 might have even been a little bit high considering what we were coming off. But he just absolutely went bananas. And again, you don't really think a guy that struggled that much last season would be the number one usage player on this team with Lowry Butler Adebayo around. But that's exactly what happened. The numbers were great. He also was able to up his assist numbers a little bit, which is encouraging. His free throws, which weirdly were down last year. He was a guy that, I think in college, missed one free throw for the whole season, or three or something like that. Shot like 96%. Then last year, he was only at 80%. And that's still solid. But 80 to 87 is huge. And as a rookie, he was at 87. This year, back at 87. That helps. One of his strongest categories. In fact, it was his strongest category. I think, if I double-check that. Oh, no, it wasn't. Points was marginally ahead. So points, threes, and free throws are all basically the same strength of category for Hero. None of them above one in a standard score, but all about the same. And that's important. Getting that 87% on three attempts is huge. If it falls to 84, if it falls to 82, it's a big drop for him. It is one of his, it is, yeah, his equal most important category. But he was really, really strong um, this season with that high usage. Again, we talk about the specter of other players coming in. What if Bradley Beal comes in? Can he 
with the biggest reason of his jump being a six percentage point usage increase, can he maintain that with another player like that coming in, if that's what happens? Could be a bit of a bust risk, I guess. Hero also struggles a little bit when he moves into the starting lineup at times. He thrived in his role, but we've seen in the past that he needs really to be the focal point to get a lot of stuff going. And with one extra, if, if there's extra players getting in the mix, that makes it even harder for him to be that focal point. So I have some worries that Hero, who's still only 22, plenty of room for improvement. I have some worries that maybe there's a step back next season. And there's a small worry that this is like his best ever fantasy season. That's a small worry. His advanced stats, they're not that good. Eighth on this team in Raptor. In EPM, eighth. At, you know, still 69th percentile in the NBA, so still solid. But, you know, it was seventh in LeBron. So, a lot of... I didn't pick him for my sixth man of the year because he did score well. But I, and, and I admitted this when I did the show, I said, part of the reason I'm not picking him is I just refuse to go with the narrative that the sixth man should be the highest scorer who comes off the bench. Because that's basically all people give it to. Don't worry about the fact that his defense is terrible or that he requires this high usage and everything to be tailored around him and the fact that he's playing over you know, more than majority of starters in the NBA. My problem with it is, is like I just hate that like default best scorer off the bench gets the award. Defensively, he struggled. He was still really good, but his impact, it wasn't as good as the scoring numbers might lead you to believe. It might seem like I'm being unnecessarily harsh on Hero, but I think it's important to understand that context. Let's look at Oladipo, who was, after those first four guys, the next highest-ranked Heat player on a per-game basis. Vic only played eight regular season games. He wasn't good enough to be a regular part of the rotation after he came back from injury. Played 22 minutes. 12 points, 3 rebounds, 3.5 assists. His good defensive numbers weren't there. He shot 48 and 74, including 42% from 3. He's 30 now. As I said before, I don't really think that... He can't finish at the rim anymore. He can't be... He can be good defensively, but he can't be as good as he was in the past. He's never going to be that player again. Absolutely never. He wasn't bad, right? Let's, let's, his advanced numbers all at... Look, the advanced numbers tie into the value that he showed fantasy-wise as well. He was solid in that time when he was on the court, but there were too many instances where he wasn't able to stay on the court because of struggles. And he's had some moments in the playoffs for sure, but you know, he's not a guy that I'd be looking at at age 30 to just be this superstar-esque player again. I just don't see how that's going to happen. But again, his last bit of time in the playoffs, he's still scoring okay, but... Efficiency has dropped way off in the playoffs. And this was part of the issue with him back in Houston and back in Indiana in the last couple of seasons. He just couldn't score efficiently. At least in the playoffs, his steal numbers have come back up, which is part of the value of him. But maybe he just turns into a steal specialist. Caleb Martin, I thought, was a big surprise. He was not as good, I didn't think, as his brother Cody in Charlotte and then was released. But I thought he stepped it up really well. He only averaged nine points, four rebounds with a steal, hit a three a game, 51 and 76. And that's the story, isn't it? 51% shooting, which is 41% from three and 57% from two. In the past, he'd struggled as a free throw shooter as well, but he was able to step it up. And his defensive numbers, 
advanced stats through the roof. Thought he, he had to fill in for Jimmy Butler a lot. And I thought when he did, he was really good at it. He is a strong rotation player who played 23 minutes a night, 16 usage, but defends really well. But for fantasy, I don't know where that takes us. He had value as a replacement for Butler, as a fringe 12-team guy. He is 27, or about to turn 27. He's restricted. They should bring him back. But I don't really think he's ever got a top 100 fantasy season in him. But he was still really impressive when he was out there playing this season. PJ Tucker. 198th ranked player in category leagues. He averaged seven points per game. Seven and a half points. A three, five rebounds. 0.8 steals. 48, 74. He's just a nothing fantasy player. Um, what he averaged? 19 fantasy points. His impact this year was not as good as it's been in the past. He's still really valuable. Um, defensively, obviously, but his offensive stuff was a little bit rougher. But defensively, he's still great. And he's still a really important player for this squad. Now, he is old. Like, we know that. He is 30. He's just turned 37. He played 28 minutes a night. He'll never be someone you want to draft in fantasy in 10 or 12 or 14 or 16 team leagues. You won't want to draft him. But he's still hyper-valuable for this Miami Heat team. They had a couple of guys really come on this season. One of those was Max Struess. 10 points, 2.73s, 3 rebounds, 44 and 79. He was 227th in category leagues. And by the end of the year, he'd replaced Duncan Robinson as the starting shooting guard. He's a really good volume three-point shooter. He hit them at 41%. He doesn't really do too much else. But there's an argument that you could take him late round next season as a, what, he's 26. A guy that hits three threes in 30 minutes or 27 minutes. 13 points, three threes. There's some value there. The upside is pretty capped. But he's got some value as a three-point shooter, especially if they do move on from Duncan Robinson. Of course... I keep referencing Beal, but if someone like that comes in, then he's cooked. He's, he's rooted. There's no value in him. But I thought he was impressive this year. Really took that step up. They got him on a bargain contract. And he's developed really fantastically. Defensively, he's still got some issues, for sure. But offensively, I don't think he can ever be a top 100 player. But there's a little bit there. Gabe Vincent, another one of those guys. Played really well in the Olympics for Nigeria. And had to be forced into plenty of starting opportunities with Kyle Lowry out. They didn't go with Hero there. They went with Vincent. He only averaged 8.7 points, but three assists in his 23 minutes. Hit two threes. Hit them at 37%. He's a low usage player who had some struggles at times with efficiency. But as a backup point guard, I think he's really useful. Thought he held up pretty well defensively a lot of the time. Again, some of the efficiency stuff was rough. His rim finishing numbers, 55%, horrific, like really bad. But he passed well. He defended okay. He was a guy that as soon as, if he starts, you roster him. He's about to turn 26 as well. So I wouldn't say there's a huge amount of upside. And I don't think any team would be clamoring to make Gabe Vincent their starting point guard. So if we're talking dynasty league formats, he's not like, well, just take a grab of him. And we'll see in a couple of years, and then he'll be starting and playing. Th- but he well, he might be. Lowry might miss all of next season. I'm not knocking on wood there. Like, maybe something happens, and he cops an injury, plays 30 games, and Vincent has to start. So he's not a terrible guy to consider for at least that role. But I don't think long-term planning, Pat Riley's going in there and going, all right, we've got Lowry, and then we've got the replacement when Lowry's gone and retired, and Vincent's our point guard position set. I don't think anyone's thinking that. But as a solid backup point guard, yeah, sure. So Duncan Robinson, if you listened to my podcast during the year, which I assume if you're listening now, you did, you would have heard me bang on and on and on and on. Kids, cover your ears. 
telling people to fucking drop Duncan Robinson. I don't know why he was drafted in most cases, and he should have been dropped basically straight away. Yet he was rostered in like 80% of leagues for the first six months of the season. It made no sense. He was 234th in category leagues. Yeah, sure. He hit 2.93s. Great. Shot poorly. Doesn't get to the line. Doesn't get steals. Doesn't get rebounds. Doesn't get assists. Doesn't get blocks. And scored 10.9 points. He's lost his rotation spot in the, in the playoffs. And surely he's looking for a new spot somewhere else. And if he does get traded onto another team, people might buy in again. But all he is bringing is threes. That is it. Nothing else. Now, if your league includes three-point percentage, it boosts his value somewhat. But even that, again, one of the main tenants we talk about a lot on this show is that if he gets by, he'll shoot 45%. But if that goes from 45% to 38, still good. And he was at 37 this year. If it goes to 38, then all the value is wiped. It's done. It's cooked. There's nothing there. He just becomes average. And that's the worry. And we saw that play out. He was shithouse this year. Three-point specialists like that don't deserve roster spots as much as they get rostered. I think he probably should be playing more than he currently is. He, what his future holds, I have no idea. It's going to be really intriguing to see how they handle that in the offseason. Let's look at The Undertaker, Dwayne Dedman. Thirty-three years of age, Dermot. Sixteen minutes a game. Six points, six rebounds, 0.6 blocks. Remember when he was a sharp shooting three-point shooter as a big man? Well, he hit forty percent. Didn't take that many, but he was back at least hitting some shots. He had some moments. He had a real opportunity when Bam went down to be the starter, and then of course he was injured as well. But yeah, he is solid enough as a regular season backup big. Now in the playoffs, he's been bad, and I would expect at age thirty-three. Not sure they prioritize bringing him back when there's another guy, which we're going to talk about next, sitting behind him. You can probably take that role. But I think it is worth noting when we talk about Irma Yurt 7 next is that as soon as Deadman was available, he replaced Yurt 7. Despite Yurt 7 putting up big numbers, that Deadman was able to play. Because Deadman still can be a solid defender in the right situation, but again, the playoffs haven't been particularly kind to him. And at his advancing age with injury history, you have to worry a little bit. Let's talk Yurt7, who put up some great numbers. Remember that run where he was like absolutely a must-roster player? With Bam out, with Deadman out, with Morris out, there was literally no other option. So he had to start. But he put up good numbers. And there were... It's one of the biggest lessons or biggest um, yeah, lessons that we, we have to learn, or some people have to learn, about getting too excited. He was pushed into that position where he had to start because players are out and he did well. There's no denying that. In 12 starts, he averaged 12 and 13, 0.6 blocks, 51% shooting. But people were like, um, that, well, when Debenham comes back, they'll just start him. It'll just be him and, um, oh, sorry, when Bam comes back, they'll just start you at seven and Bam, Bam. In the past, Bam's played the four, so Bam will just play the four. Uh, they'll put Tucker on the bench and you at seven will start. Like, guys... We need to stop overrating this. It's, it's, it was Moses Brown-ish. Moses Brown-esque. Everyone was out. You had seven put up numbers. But you saw it. As soon as those guys come back, he was out of the rotation. Is that fair? I don't know. He's got an ability to score. He can be efficient. Defensively, he's still got a long way to go. And whether that ever gets there, I actually don't know. But I think there is an opportunity for him to be the backup center next year if they don't bring Debman or Morris back. But he doesn't fully have the trust of this coaching staff at all. 
And even in those 12 starts, like 12 and 13 with half a block under a steal and 62 from the line, it's not particularly good. It's like, it's fine. But people were like, yeah, the Heat, let's change their whole plan so that we make sure that Yurt 7 plays. They were grasping onto straws going, this guy's saved me here for two weeks in fantasy. Therefore, I'm going to yeah, put that onto the Heat and say, you've got to start him. What are you guys doing? Spose the worst coach in the league, I'd someone tell me, because they benched Yurt 7. Like, seriously, calm the fuck down. Like, Yurt 7's fine. Maybe he develops into something. Maybe he does. He is already 24 in his first year. Maybe he develops into a solid backup big. But the role to be slowed was so big that people got way out ahead over their skis and crashed and burned pretty hard and were so hesitant to even drop him once those guys came back. Eventually it happened because we saw him literally go out of the rotation. But it's an important lesson to learn that context and situation is so important in these situations. It's so important. And I reckon I don't need to talk about too many of these other guys. Javante Smart, Mickey Mulder, Markeith Morris, Haywood Highsmith. I don't think there's anything to see in any of those guys. So that will do it for me, talking about the Miami Heat. Don't forget, follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app for here on YouTube. Thumb it up, leave your comments below. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about the Warriors. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See us. Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.